The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today expecting you to show up. Our hearts are open. You have the words of life that will change us, that will make us more like Jesus. Lord, we want to live lives that give glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. We don't want to be as ones who bring blaspheme to the name, but rather glory and honor. We ask you to give Matt anointing as he speaks to us, that you'd pour your spirit upon him, open our hearts, open our minds, that we might receive those words of life that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you. (laughs) I want you to consider for a moment your socks. That's long enough. What do your socks say about you? I remember, I think it was 1997, I was, I was riding my bike to, to elementary school with my, with my buddy Mark, and uh, we, we were in our, our Huffy bikes, um, and it was, it was less than a mile, you know, we were just taking our time riding. And I remember this being the first time that I started to be concerned with what other people thought about me. We, uh, have you guys ever seen The Simpsons? I'm, I'm sure you have a one, but you guys know... Oh, good, a cheer for that. You guys know Bart, Bart Simpson, one of the main characters, he, he was a kid, you know, he's got, uh, he's got weird, like, hair that's, like, it's part of his face. I don't understand that. <laughs> but, but he was, like, the cool kid, you know. He, he, was, he was always getting in trouble with the principal, and, and uh, you know, he always could get the girl. He was always cool. And that was my friend Mark. Mark, uh, uh, when we were riding to school that morning. And I was Milhouse. You guys know Milhouse? He was Bart's like kind of like, like friend. He had glasses and blue hair and was real awkward, could never talk to girls and that kind of thing. I was the Milhouse. But I had a Mark though, or I had, I had a Bart rather. And um, yeah, so even this guy's dad called me like the biggest dork on the block, I think was kind of like his nickname for him. Okay. <laughs> Things are coming up now. <laughs> So anyway, we're riding to school, and uh, I'm wearing, I, I don't know exactly, probably like jean shorts and like, um, and uh, I had uh, um, socks, this is back to socks, 
And uh, I had them like pulled up, you know, these white socks that are like pulled up, ankle socks, and they had the little like red stripe on them or whatever. And, and uh, my friend was like, dude, like, he probably didn't say dude, but <laughs> he was like, you gotta, you gotta scrunch your socks down like this. Like, you don't pull them up, you like scrunch them down. That's, that's, how you, that's the cool way to do it. And I'm sitting there on my bike, you know, and, and do it. And I'm like, okay, all right. Like, I'm gonna go to school a new man now <laughs> because I, I, uh, I know how to wear my socks properly. You know, this, this, uh, this kind of image, is, it just stays with you. You can't deny that, that we consider how we look and what our image is um, uh, to others. Um, and this really changes the decisions that we make, not just for ourselves, not just these minor decisions, like whether or not to pull your socks up or scrunch them down, uh, but how we treat other people as well. And there are things that are even more serious than the way we, we dress. Uh, I, I just heard recently about this thing that, that Disney has, uh, in each part called Club 33. You guys heard of this? Is anyone a member? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, so what it is, is it was actually started, this, it was an idea by Disney himself to have this sort of exclusive club that's in the park. And it, it, it has like just a door. We have to know where this door is. And you have to like slide your membership card in there, or like buzz and talk to someone. It's kind of like a secret uh, club where you have to be a member to get in there. Exclusive, right? And in there, the, the staff themselves are trained separately from the staff of other people at the park. You know, Disney's known for their, their staff of, of being just wonderful and just, you know, uh, customer-centered and everything. Their staff is trained even differently. They're even more elite. Uh, membership to this, uh, after a 13- or 14-year waiting list, um, is $25,000, uh, and then per year is, is about $10,000 from what I read. So this is an elite thing to be part of, and it's Disney. And uh, so there you can also buy merchandise, I hear, that, that's, that you can't get anywhere else. They only make exclusively for Club 33. There's like, you know, the, the classic like hat with the Disney ears? Like you can get that, but it's like, like has actual gold, like, um, like uh, what do they call this, stitching in it. Um, so that's, that's, that's different life for me. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be a member of that. I think Disney's okay, sure. But like, um, yeah, so we, we tend to want to have this image, this ex- exclusivity, and, uh, and we're, we're really, we can be judged by that. So the, question, the overall question today is, do the values of God, the things that God finds valuable, do they line up with the values of the world? And before, uh, before we get into, uh, into the scripture, I just want to, if you could just pray with me for a second. Lord, I just, um, just thank you for this time we have to get into your word today, Lord. I just pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord. Lord, sometimes it's difficult to hear that uh, everything around us is just uh, is nothing compared uh, to you, Lord. But I just pray for everyone. I pray for myself in there that uh, we would just seek you fully. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the passage here is in James, um, James 2. And um, th- there's a few points I want to make here. I have, I have sort of um, th- three things I want to look at. And the first one um, is what the world values. And then we're going to talk about what God values. And then it may seem redundant, but you'll see how it's not. So why we can't have both. So what the world values, what God values, and why those things can't be together. So do the values line up uh, with the values of the world? Well, um, 
In this situation, um, J- James is, uh, is addressing the church, and he, and he says at first, he says this uh, in verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and you say, you sit here in a good place. Um, I think I read ahead there. Yeah. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at, at my feet. So here, the church has made a distinction. And just to modernize it a bit, imagine if in Grace City here, we have, t- we have two different people come in. One is dressed really well, um, perhaps also, yes, gold rings. Uh, they, they drove a really nice car in here. And maybe you recognize them as a, as a, a local celebrity or something like that. And all of a sudden, people from the church are flocking around him. Hey, is there anything I can get you? Welcome. You know, here's some coffee. You know, make sure, um, you, know, make sure you get a seat right in front so you can see and everything. And can I offer you earplugs if the music's too loud? That kind of thing. And um, yeah, you know, that's great. You know, that's how everyone should be treated. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, there's a poor man who comes in. Perhaps someone that's clearly, uh, clearly homeless. You can tell by, by the clothes they're wearing. Um, maybe they smell. And no one really kind of comes up to this person, to this man, and, uh, except for maybe, maybe uh, um, someone serving the church, and they say, are you sure you're in the right place? This is, are you here for the, for the service? Oh, oh, okay. Well, why don't, why don't you have a seat in the back? And uh, so what, what's happened here is, is that partiality or favoritism has been shown and what I want to make clear is that this favoritism, this judgment, is in opposition to the gospel. Uh, James says, um, after this, he asked him a question. He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So that's what's occurring here, is that when, when you decide to treat someone differently based on how they look, that you've become a judge, that you've put yourself and elevated yourself into the seat of judgment. And uh, rather than just looking at, at who they are and everything, we, we, make, uh, we make a judgment call based on, on, uh, on how much money, how much money they have or, or, or other things such as their race. Um, we have a prejudice before that. And Uh, I want to kind of jump to, um, this is Matthew 7. This is probably one of the most commonly quoted verses in the Bible, even by non-Christians. And that's Matthew 7, starting in 1. It says, judge not uh, that you be not judged. And why is this quoted so much? It's it's not actually because people are really meditating on what it means and everything, but they use it uh, as an offense, as as a way to sort of uh, sign off that they're they're not judging someone while at the same time judging someone, right? So you say, I'm, I'm not judging, but are you eating a little too much? Or they say, I'm not, I'm not judging, but uh, that, that, that girl over there, that's like the third guy I've seen with her this month. I'm not judging, judging. Or I'm not judging, but those shoes he's wearing are more expensive than my car payment. Or I'm not judging, but he seems to always smell like alcohol every time I see him. And what have we done here? We've placed, we've judged. <laughs> you're literally, you're judging. And you haven't sort of finished this, this, uh, this section. This is from Jesus here. He says, judge not that you will not be judged. For with judgment, you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will, 
be measured to you. Why do you see that speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? I always love that image, you know, it's just, oh, you got a little something in your eye and you're kind of, oh yeah, but, but like you have this like big thing just like sticking out of your, out of your face and it's like, <laughs> I think you have bigger troubles than me, son. What are we doing then when we judge others? Uh, Bonhoeffer, uh, uh, who's uh, in the cost of discipleship, says this. He says, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. But in the love of Christ, we know all about every conceivable sin and guilt For we know how Jesus suffered and how all men have been forgiven at the foot of the cross. Christian love sees the fellow man under the cross and therefore sees with clarity. What he's saying here is that when we're judging someone by the way they look, we're covering our eyes to our own self. We're blinding ourselves because that person that we are judging is, is someone else for whom Jesus died. And that if we view others in the, in, the, in the light of the cross, if we view others as equally entitled to the grace of Jesus, then, then that is where love comes into play. So we have to give others the benefit of the doubt. You know, my, my wife is much better at this than I am. She's not, she's not just sweet, she's good looking and all this, but, but, she, but she, uh, um, she's good at giving someone the benefit of the doubt. You, you know, when someone cuts you off in traffic, you're like, what an idiot. You know, what is wrong with this guy? And this is kind of a minor example. You know, she's, she would probably say, he's probably, you know, driving his pregnant wife to the hospital and, you know, need, <laughs> needed to get around. So give others the benefit of the doubt. Are, are you judging someone then by the world's perspective, as in looking at their socks perhaps, or, uh, or God's perspective? And we have to give everyone the benefit of the doubt because Jesus did that for us. Looking at Luke 23, what did Jesus say when he was crucified? Did he say like, get him? <laughs> Is that what they did when they nailed him to the cross? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He gave us the benefit of the doubt. And that's how we have to treat others as well. Let's go to my second point. Um, you know, the, God's view, God's perspective. Uh, we, we see that, that, that our view of, of uh, for example, this rich man coming in, that that, that, that's, uh, that, that view is actually wrong. That there's, there's no truth to that. Um, so what happens here in, in, uh, in uh, back to, this is in uh, verse five. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. You know, that's always like, if you ever had to like, maybe an actual brother, like give them some advice they needed to hear, but no one would tell them. I mean, that's how you start that out. Hey man, I love you, but. <laughs> and that's what James is doing here. He's just, there's a love behind that. There's a need that he has to, he has to, he has to show them that. Listen, my beloved brothers, and he asks a couple questions here. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So here we see that this view, that the rich people are who we should be sitting in the, in the, in the nice chairs and treating well, is wrong. God has chosen the poor in the world. So the answer to his question is, yeah, God has chosen the poor in the world. And 
I, I, I could probably spend an hour up here, and I won't, I promise, um, going through the Bible and finding the examples of this in Scripture. Finding the times when God chose someone who was at the bottom and, and brought them all the way up. I think the best example, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with, is, is, is David, King David. Uh, he's king over all Israel. He, um, it was interesting when, when Samuel went to, to anoint a new king. Saul uh, was no longer uh, going to be king in God's eyes. So Samuel uh, was chosen to go uh, to Jesse, who was, who was uh, um, who had, who had uh, what he thought, seven, seven sons. And he came to Jesse, and uh, Jesse had his, his, his uh, firstborn son ready. And, you know, he was just a, a, a tall guy, you know, just see, seemed like he had, had everything going on. He was the firstborn. You, you guys know firstborn mentality. It was the same there. He was like, this is, this is my heir and everything. Um, and, and God was like, nope, <laughs> not him. No, that's not him. It probably confused uh, Samuel and Jesse, but they um, said, okay, um, okay, who's next? So they went then to the second born. Nope, that's not him. And they went all the way to the seven brothers. And, uh, and it was just like, well, I, th- I thought that one of my sons was gonna be anointed as king. And, and Samuel said, is, is, there another, is there another son? And he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> I, forgot about, I forgot about this guy. You know, he, he's my youngest though. He's out, he's out tending the, the flocks and everything. He's, he's doing his job and he said, well, bring him to me. And uh, there he was anointed as king, David. So he, was, he wasn't even thought that he would even be eligible for this, and yet God chose him. And why? He says this in 1 Samuel 16, uh, verse 7, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I, that is God, ha- have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is echoed throughout the Bible. You'll see this time and time again that someone uh, who is in the world was viewed as something great was rejected by God. And then someone who's in the world is viewed as, as lowly is brought up by God to do great things. And why is this? Well, looking at 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is all, all these things, David uh, and everything else that you can find is pointing to Christ. Look at someone who is God of the universe, who is creator, who could do, who could do anything he willed. And yet he brought himself to the lowly station of man and died for us. So here that there, there's, a, there's a question then are you, are you going to start to value the things of the world or the things of God? And I'll, as I'll start to show you, those things have to be separate. But start by just loving God and learning what it's, what's important to him because this, this will bleed into the rest of your decisions. If you start to love God and you start to enjoy the grace of God, you'll start to give that. You, you know, when they asked Jesus what, uh, what's the greatest commandment, uh, summarize, he just said, love God, love God and, and, and love others. And here, in, in the situation posed by James, of a rich man and a poor man, you, you disobeyed both those things, as we'll see. So what we have, then, is a pull between the world and uh, the things of God. 
But God will show you the reality that comes with loving him. Point three is this. Um, you can't have both. <laughs> you might see these great things uh, in the world and, and see what God offers and try to do both. But prioritizing the world, as we'll see, uh, will rule over our love of God. Back to uh, uh, verse 6. <laughs> uh, it says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Uh, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James point out, points out that the person that you're honoring in the church because of the way that they're, you, you know, they're dressed and because of the fact that they have money, they're the same people that are oppressing you. You know, at the time, there's a, there a great division between the rich and the poor, just as we're, you know, we see... We see all the time, but, but there the, the rich were using, uh, using their powers to drive out the poor. And here, and here they are in the church honoring them. So there, like I said, they're, they're both dishonoring God and, and blaspheming him, as well as dishonoring others. They're, tre- they're, they're uh, driving others in the court. This is not to say that having money makes you evil. But it's dangerous. I, uh, I, re- recently, so I, I, um, I've been in school for a long time. I, uh, um, I think I finished undergrad even, like, t- I think it's been 10 years. Um, and I'm still kind of what's in what, what they call a trainee. I'm training to be something. And uh, wh- what that translates t- to my bank account is, is not that much, you know, <laughs> c- compared to, you know, that, that much training. But, um, you know, God has blessed us and it looks like that's not going to go forever. <laughs> and uh, someday soon, uh, I hope to have um, a real paycheck. You know, what I'm thinking is a real paycheck. And uh, we were thinking about it, uh, my wife, Christine, and I. And, you know, it just kind of scares me. You know, a, a lot of you are, uh, I know several of you are graduating this year from undergraduate. And, and uh, a lot of you are of that age where, like, you have a, you have a lot ahead of you. But to me, I'm just scared of what, of what money can do because you start to dream about, man, with that much money, I could this and this and oh, I could put in money for retirement and you know, maybe put some aside, pay for my kid's college and all that kind of thing. And, and then you realize that you, know, you dream about it for a while and you're like, wait, where was God in all of that? I didn't consider that. I considered how many, you know, the, the vacation I could finally have. Man, that is scary. How much money can pull away at your heart? You really can't have these two things together. Money, um, money can ruin you. In First Timothy uh, chapter six, we went through this actually in our um, in GC men this morning. Um, he talks about the the rich here, and he's he's giving instructions to the rich because again, there's nothing inherently wrong with having money. It's just that it's a very dangerous thing to have. And Paul says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Here we see that actually if, if, you, if you do come across a, a point in your life, and maybe that's now, where you have money, 
know that that, that that is not what is truly meaningful. The true life here is, is, uh, is towards God. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. There is where you're storing up treasure for yourselves, not in the number on your bank account. Now to end with this thought, what, what I've seen that what we try to do is we see something that's in the world and we see something that's, uh, you know, that's biblical, that's of, of the kingdom of God. And we try, we try to fit them together. We, we try to mesh them in and try to make it work. And you know, some things like how you wear your socks, you can do that. I can be a good Christian and, and you know, pull up my socks or scrunch them down, it doesn't matter. But there are other things where we're not, they're, just, they're not compatible to fit together where the world and the kingdom of God just cannot mix. For example, I don't want you to take away from this message that we should care more about, we should value the truly important things in life, like you should take care of your body. You know, that's, that's, how, that's only gonna live as long as you. Uh, and you know, in 1 Timothy, it says, for while bodily training is of some value, really, or of limited value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So we, so we may incorporate that into, into a you know, message and put a Christian stamp on it that, yeah, you should take care of yourself. And that's all well and good, but Paul says here it's a, of limited value for godliness is, is of greater value. You may take from this message that you should spend your life doing something that you really love and enjoy. Don't just take a job for the money. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Here we see that these things can't mesh together. You, you were bought by the, the blood of Christ. Your decisions are not even your own. Maybe you, maybe you think um, that you, and this is, this is big, and, and, and there's really, again, there's nothing inherently wrong with this, is the place your importance in life should be placed in your family. <laughs> Yet contrast this, um, and this might be tough, with Luke 14, 26, where Jesus says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How can you balance that? If I told you that the message of today was to not worry about money or anything like that, but to just place all your importance in family and that's it, you're missing something there. You're missing of setting down your life before God. And I wanted to end on what's called the prosperity gospel. This is something that, that, that uh, is, is not just a problem in third world countries. In fact, I'm gonna read a couple of quotes here from the largest church in the United States. Again, this, this isn't, these aren't my words here. I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what God makes us happy, amen? Here's another one from the same church. Prosperity isn't just about money. It's about having health and peace in your mind. It's being able to sleep at night and having good relationships. There are many things that money cannot buy that represent prosperity, but having monetary provision is also 
a part of prosperity. They went back to money very quickly. You'll never find one place in the scripture where we are supposed to drag around not having enough, not able to, be afford, uh, to afford what we want, and living off the leftovers of others. We should be so blessed, so prosperous, so generous, so full of joy that other people want what we have. You don't prove God is good when you live a defeated life. Look at how directly in contrast that is with the gospel. In Luke 1, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. How different is that than the prosperity gospel? This is a verse I've been thinking about a lot in um, 1 Corinthians. Um, in starting in... Uh, Chapter 4, verse 12, it says, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. The refuse of all things, the scum of the world. This is how the early church described what Christians are is dirt, is scum. How, how, from, from that quote, you don't prove God is good when you live a defeated life. It seems to be quite the opposite. How can I convince you then to come with me and be scum of the earth? It's not, it's, it's not a message for the world, and that's my point. When we take in the things that are of the world, we're driving away the things that are of God and vice versa. And so what can we take away from this? The church, and I mean church with a capital C, because a lot of you, you know, you're not going to be here forever. We live in a very transient town. The church needs us. Not, 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 as, a, not as a place for people to to feel cool and comfortable. You know, that, that's, that's necessary to bring people in. But to take a step further from that, because there are people who are financially unfit, who are addicted to something, who are lonely or overworked or confused or hopeless. And if they walk into anywhere else, they'll be treated like what they already have convinced themselves that they are. Sit on the ground. This is what you deserve. That's what the world gives and you might think that there are programs for these people. There's these social government programs, help from their family. Someone will be there for the poor, for the weak, for the elderly, the oppressed, the lonely. How about you guys? How about us? How about the scum of the world? So will, so will it be you? Uh, Grace City, I mean, will, will this be you? Will you take part in this? And not to just leave the poor in their place and put them in the back of the assembly, but to really give your lives to them, just as Jesus gave his life for you. So I have a few, um, uh, few takeaways here that's just, just to ask yourself this question, where are you placing value? First one is with your decisions. 
when you're making a big decision, which a lot of you are probably on the verge of, you know, you're finishing education or, you know, you're here just for, you know, starting a new job or when you're making these decisions, just ask, where's God in these decisions? How am I serving God with what I'm doing? Because it might look like it's a, it's a dumb idea to everyone else. You know, you might even have parents saying like, that's stupid, like you're just gonna waste, you know, you're not gonna make money doing that. But you feel like God has called you in that way. So put God first. With your time, where are you placing value with your time? Look at your calendar. Have you ever done this? Just take like, um, just take a week and just track what you do. Try not to think about it, you know? And then you look at it and you're like, man, I watch a lot of Netflix. <laughs> I, I'm really bad with that. It's so easy. You know, they make it easy to binge watch now. They, they even have the like skip intro part, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just so easy that I find myself fast forwarding through the intro and I'm just like, oh, I, I guess I can watch it faster. I don't what are you doing with your time? And then uh, last, your view of others. Uh, where are you placing value in how you view others? Is it their socks? Then I'm probably low on your list. So is your motivation to befriend someone um, because of like economic status or race or how old they are? How about just because Jesus died for them too? How about view, view others in, through the grace of God? That's going to that's gonna drastically change the way that you treat people. So let's let our decisions, our time, and our treatment of others start with the gospel of Jesus. Amen, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you uh, for your word. Lord, uh, we want to put you first, Lord, and, and, it's, and it's really difficult, Lord, to be part of this world, um, but to not be part of it, Lord. God, I just pray that we would just see everyone and, and everything just uh, in the light of your grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.